Well, there are some Sundays that are harder than other Sundays to be up here preaching. Today is especially hard. You're going, what is he talking about? Because the Giants are playing the Lions right now. And, uh, and they need to win, the Giants. I'm a Giants fan. So I never thought I would be a football fan, but it, it just kind of happened. And, and so if I seem distracted, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Light of the World. We've been in a series called Light of the World, and uh, we'll culminate with this series next Saturday evening uh, as we talk about Jesus, the light of the world. But this morning, we're going to be talking about peace, light of the world. We, we began this series talking about uh, really the four, and it's been over the last three weeks, we've covered the four aspects of Advent. Uh, in fact, we have an Advent, Advent candle, and each week we've had uh, someone come up and read scripture, light one of the candles, and then pray for us. And in just a minute, I'm going to invite Pastor Abby to come join me up, up front, and she's going to read. But, but Advent is this. Advent means arrival. When, some, when we have the Advent of something, it means it's arrived. Um, for, for Israel and, and for pe- the people 2,000 years ago, they were waiting for a Messiah to be born. And, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as we know, and as we celebrate. Um, today, we wait for the advent or the arrival of Jesus in our lives daily. Do you know that God wants to show up in your life every day? Jesus wants to make himself known in your life every single day. But we need to be looking for that. We need to be looking for those places where he wants to move. And then, of course, we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. He said he's coming back for his church, for his bride. And, uh, and so while we know that he was born as a baby um, and, and came into this world as, as a human being, took on flesh, uh, our Advent now, the Advent we wait for now, is that second coming. But it's important to remember all three because they affect our lives in, in really uh, important ways. We, we've talked about hope, the Advent of hope, uh, the Advent of love, so hope, love, uh, joy, the advent of, of joy that we talked about last week. And so today we're going to talk about peace. Pastor Abby, would you come on up and uh, would you read for us this morning? All right. There you go. Okay. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For, us, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. I'm going to light the candle now. Okay, we're going to (laughs) pray. Dear Lord, thank you for sending your son to us and um, to be peace for us, God, to be so much more than just peace, but we're focusing on the peace right now, God, and in this hectic time of travel and wrapping presents and family and everything that comes with families and um, that we remember your your peace on that night when you were born, when, when your son Jesus was born and in that manger and just how peaceful it was and then the the great the great gift that was there and we we pray that uh, your peace will be in all of our hearts and that it will resonate to those around us and our friends and our families we'll feel your peace in this season and in every season to come god that you you're in the midst of all of that and that you um you give us you give us your peace in jesus name amen 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 thank you abby all right, give her a hand. Thank you. The light of the world. And so we light these candles. Um, you know, we know that if you're in a dark room and you light one candle, you know, it might, it might not blind you, it might not be super bright, but it will bring light to the room, right? You ever been in a place where the power has gone out and you had to light a candle and, and you're so thankful for that bit of light, just a bit of light can make all the difference. We've talked about light and the fact that, that Jesus is the light of the world. And, and, you know, 
referencing the fact that, that light is one of the most used metaphors in Scripture, painting a picture of, of who God is. Uh, why light? Because we get light. We understand light. We understand darkness from a young age, right? We, we know dark and light. We're afraid of the dark. That's why we put night lights in our kids' rooms. Um, or maybe you still have one. Uh, but, but we know that light is, is their safety and security. Physically and scientifically, we look at the light spectrum and, and the fact that light can do everything from illuminate to bring heat uh, to cooking our food in a microwave oven. That's, that's light waves that are being, uh, moving around inside of that, that, that machine to, uh, to bring energy and heat. Uh, spiritually, the, the pictures of good and evil uh, and how they're contrasted. By the way, Star Wars Rogue One was amazing. Uh, I don't know, start, anyone seen the movie yet? Any, all right, you guys are awesome. Gavin and I went opening night, and, uh, and it was incredible. It was so good uh, to see. And, and so Star Wars has been one of those. We see the, the light versus the dark, right? And, and it's this cosmic battle, the good versus the evil. We understand mentally and, and even emotionally that light... Uh, is a reference to safety and security or the light bulb going off. I get something, I understand it, so the light bulb goes off. Uh, and then even morally in our, in our world, that uh, light versus the dark, you know, representing the moral versus the immoral, the just versus the unjust, and love versus hate. The Apostle John in John chapter 1, and this has been our foundation passage for the series, says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it, and I keep reemphasizing this point that light and darkness are not equal opposites, that, that, that the enemy, Satan, and God are not equal opposites, that the light overcomes the darkness every single time. And it's so key for us to understand that not just at Christmas time, but in our walk with the Lord, that there is no darkness that can overcome the light of God's love and his salvation and his joy and his peace in our lives. Nothing can overcome the light. The light always, always, always wins. So through this series, we've been referencing two things. We've been talking about uh, the light of the world to you and then the light of the world through you. That God wants to bring his love, his light, his hope, his joy, his peace into your life. Very personal, right? It's very personal. It's to you personally, but then also through you, that you are designed and, and, and fashioned to be a conduit of his love, his hope, his joy, his peace to the world. So let's talk about peace this morning. Peace is a very widely discussed subject, isn't it? We hear about peace a lot. In fact, you, all you have to do is turn on the news for a few minutes and, and, and there's going to be some aspect of peace or the lack thereof that, that comes up. It, you know, it's, it's something that's discussed at length by governments, by the United Nations, by military officials and individuals. It's discussed in homes and churches and you know, across dinner tables. We talk about peace and you know, we, we, we want global or, or world peace, right? Um, we even we even laugh about it, and you know you see a, a pageant where you know and some the, the the contestants are interviewed, and you know what what are you hoping? I just want world peace, right? And 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 so just always coming up, peace in a nation, peace in a community, peace in the workplace, and peace in the home. Yet peace seems to be a little elusive. In fact, it seems to be very elusive. As much as we talk about peace and discuss peace and, and pray for peace, we have war, we have strife, enmity, conflict, and division. And it happens between nations, tribes, people groups, religions, within the same religion, between political parties, families, individuals. It happens in the workplace that peace is broken and that these things come into play. Throughout history, though, you can look and you can see that there's been periods of uh, calm or, or an absence 
of war, and, and some would say, well, it was a season of peace, but I don't believe that there's really, really ever been a season or a time in the history of the world where peace just existed on this planet, and I, and I think part of it, a huge part of that is that we, we don't have the capacity for peace. Because of the Garden of Eden and the fall of Adam and Eve, we ushered in strife and brokenness. And so whatever peace that we try to build uh, is, is fragile and, and not lasting. I mean, we see these, these seasons of time in history, and I don't know if we've got any history scholars in, that, in the room today. I love watching the History Channel and, and learning about why things happened in history and, and around the world. I, I loved uh, watching movies and, and documentaries about World War II. Um, and, and you find out that throughout history, there's been treaties and accords and agreements and contracts that have ushered in seasons of peace or, or seemingly ushered in a season of peace or, or even the defeat of an enemy, right? I, I defeated the enemy, and so now we live in peace. Really, not, not really. Because you're just a defeated foe. They're imperfect, these treaties. Our best attempts at peace are imperfect. Are you feeling encouraged this morning? Um, <laughs> we're, I, I want to set this up well, by the way. We're going to talk about to you and through you in a minute, but... But as I was studying peace and the subject of peace, the Lord just really started unwrapping some things for me and enlightening, enlightening me to some truths about peace that I'd never even really grasped a hold of. Um, and so I want to make sure that we have a good, solid understanding of peace before we get into the to you and through you conversation. So these agreements and these accords and these treaties are imperfect. In fact... The Treaty of Versailles, which ended World War I, signed in Versailles in France, uh, was one of the reasons, when you read about the history of World War I and World War II, that treaty itself was one of the factors that spurred on or, or gave rise to or gave place to the rise of Nazi Germany. Here's why. This treaty against the defeated foe, Germany, um, they, the treaty was signed, and then there were all of these stipulations that were put into place. And, and it, was, it was like the, 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 the winning side, the French and the, the, the English and the Americans, set up this treaty and said, okay, now there has to be these reparations, these, these fees, these tolls that are paid by the German people because of the war that they started. And... You know, you, you ever been in an argument and you win and then you kind of want to make that person know that you won and you kind of make them pay a little bit? That's really what happened on a, on a, uh, a global scale. And so there was this, hey, we're going to make the German people feel because of what they did to us. And there was such discord that was sown because of the requirements of the treaty that Hitler had the opportunity he needed to step in and rally the German people and say, see how the rest of the world treats us? You see how, how they think of us? You, think how, you see how they've come against us? And, and so a treaty, even the treaty itself, gave rise to the Second World War. Our best attempts at peace fall so far short of obtaining the very thing that we're looking for. It would be fair for us to say that we long for peace, but we have a hard time laying a hold of it. So, we come to Christmas, and we talk about peace. We sing about peace. We have cards that say peace, and Christmas ornaments that say peace. And this theme of peace at Christmas is very appealing, right? It's extremely appealing to us. We love the idea of peace. And so at Christmas, we, we think this is it. This is the peace. We want, we want this peace. It, it appeals to our hearts. In fact, Scripture talks about it at length. Isaiah chapter 9, as Pastor Abby just read, I'm going to read it again. 9, 6 through 7. For, uh, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jesus' very name, the Prince of Peace, and there are a number of names that describe who he is and and a, a, a lot of Um, descriptive uh, monikers that are used of who Jesus is. This is one of them, the Prince of Peace. But I know about you, sometimes you read things in Scripture and you're like, that sounds good, but I don't really understand what it means. Uh, There will be no end to his government. What? What what government? What is he he talking about? You ever thought that? What what government is Scripture talking about? Because I'm not sure what government, okay, maybe it's just me. All right. Well, it's not talking about a political institution. We've come to understand government as a bunch of people who work in a particular city or in a particular building in a city uh, to rule over the people. And, and we kind of have this skewed view of politicians, don't we? That they're out to get us and get out of us what they can not there to serve us. And so if we take our modern p- picture of politics and government and we apply it to Jesus, it doesn't fit. See, Isaiah is not talking about a political institution. It's a reference to the authority of Jesus Christ. And so maybe a better word is his governance rather than his government. That, that Jesus issued, it, 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 I'm sorry, that Jesus ushered in uh, his government, his governance, his authority, as Jesus would talk about later, uh, all authority has been given to him. That's the government that he's speaking of. And there would be no end to his peace. So right away we see this in Isaiah, that the peace that we see in Christ must be different to the peace that we're seeking for in the world. Because if there's no end to his peace, and we contrast it to what we have, peace that that just can't be maintained. I mean, if you follow the news, you know right now in Aleppo and Syria, you know, every, every, like multiple times a week, well, we've come to an agreement. There's this agreement of peace. There's a ceasefire, and the next day, the bombs are dropping again. And the city that has just been absolutely ravaged, and by the way, if you're not praying for the globe globally, if you're not praying for people, pray, please. I meet people who say, I don't read the news. I just don't want to know what's going on. If you're not reading the news, you're not aware of what's happening globally which doesn't give you what you need, the information you need to pray informed prayers, right? Just because we ignore it doesn't mean it's not happening. We need to be praying for the city of Aleppo and for the, the, the Syrian people and for unity to happen in that. By the way, just because the peace that God brings is different to the peace we understand doesn't mean we don't pray for peace, amen? We need to be praying But we understand this from reading Isaiah that the peace that exists with Jesus must be different to the peace we seek after as the world. If it it weren't different, then we would have peace. But we we just don't seem to be able to lay a hold of it. Luke chapter 2, 13 through 14. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace or peace on earth. To, uh, to those on whom his favor rests. So there's this peace that exists in heaven that Jesus ushered in and brought to earth with him. There's a peace that's a, a part of the reality of who God is. He said, I want to bring this peace to earth. Peace on earth or on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so prior to Jesus coming, we can, we can infer from this that, that peace didn't exist in the world, at least the way that God wanted it to. And then Isaiah 53, again, the prophet Isaiah says this in verse 4 through 5, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is the author and the initiator of peace in our lives. Because of what he did, we have peace. So what is this peace? What is this peace that Isaiah talks about, that Jesus references, that appears all throughout Scripture? 
Do we understand it correctly? Well, my hope this morning is that we would leave today going, I understand a little bit more of what biblical peace looks like. So the word peace we find throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. In fact, it's one of the only terms that appears in every book in the New Testament. It appears in every single book in the New Testament. In the Hebrew, uh, I'm going to give you the Hebrew and Greek words, and there'll be, at least the Hebrew word is one that you'll be familiar with, um, this major theme of Scripture. Hebrew, the word uh, in the Old Testament for peace is shalom. Shalom. It's the greeting that's used by Jewish people, shalom, when they greet each other, peace. When, when someone's leaving, they say shalom, peace, or peace be with you. Uh, in, in Hebrew, it's defined as this, as well-being, stability, harmonious or, uh, harmonious or friendly relationships. It's just the state of, of well-being. When there is shalom in your life, there's peace in your life. It means that you're being provided for, you're being cared for, you're living at one with those around you. And, and God's desire was that Israel would be a nation of peace that would be a reflection of, of God's love, his peace, a prophetic witness in the world of the peace, the shalom of God in the world. In the Greek, though, the definition of the word, uh, or the, the, the Greek word for uh, peace in the New Testament is the word irene, irene. And, it, and for the Greeks, the word peace was really just an absence of war. Peace just was this connotation of we're just not fighting. And it was this absence of war, the absence of conf conflict or hostility. And so, so we see this both, both this contrast of uh, being at one with each other and then on the other side, just not fighting. And so uh, for, for Jesus, and in the context that we read the New Testament, knowing this, that it was written in Greek, yet you have a culture that was a Jewish culture speaking a foreign language, or language, rather the, the, the language that was translated into and then out of into our English, doesn't fully capture the essence of what God's heart was. See, because we see in the Old Testament this idea of well-being and harmonious and friendly relationships and, and being content, and sometimes it doesn't carry over, but really God's desire and his heart for us is that we would experience peace as he would want us to experience, not just the absence of war. See, in Jesus' time as he would speak about peace, and refer to himself as peace. We need to know that the context and what was happening in that world, in that area at the time, was this. That the Romans had conquered Israel. They were, they were an occupying nation. Uh, Israel had been defeated. And as much of the world at that time as the Roman Empire had spread. Um, and they had come under what became known as the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana, a period from 27 BC to 180 AD, where the, the Roman Empire uh, basically covered that part of the, the world, the Mediterranean, and all around North Africa and into, into, uh, into Asia, Western Asia. And if you were under a, a Roman authority, if they had conquered your nation, they ushered in this Pax Romana, this Roman peace. And, and the way that it functioned was this, that the nations who were conquered by Rome uh, were afforded the protection of Rome. And while you were a foreign nation and you were a conquered nation, because you, you now came under Pax Romana, you were, you were covered, you were protected. In the case of Israel, though, it was an unsettled peace. It was peace, but not really peace. Uh, they continued to worship in the temple. Uh, in fact, the, there was a Roman representative, Pilate, as we would read about later on when Jesus is crucified, who was the representative of Rome, and there would be soldiers who would be there to make sure there were no rebellions and keep the people uh, under check. But beyond that, the local government, uh, the local religion continued to move forward um, and and. In fact, the, the, the system under Rome was kind of brilliant because they allowed the people enough freedom to think that everything was okay. 
but it was an unsettled peace. And so for the Jewish people, living under this, this peaceful reign of Rome, they were reading scripture and knowing there was a Messiah coming. In fact, in their synagogues, they would have read the prophecies of Isaiah. They would have read the very same verses that we read out of the book of Isaiah, knowing that one day that Jesus, the Messiah, but they didn't call him Jesus, but that the Messiah would come and he would usher in this new season and of his government there would be no end. Now, if you're an occupied nation, there's a, a foreign nation that's come and, and defeated you and you read that, will your heart be encouraged? Absolutely. I can't wait for that government. They would have read it just the way we did. What, what government is that? Well, whatever it is, it's going to be better than what we have right now. I want that government. And so they're waiting for this peace to come. But it's not the same peace. It's not the same peace. Consider what Jesus says then in John 14, 27. He says this to the disciples. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. See, the peace that Jesus brings is not the same as the peace of this world. Comparing one political system to another, one structure of government to another, one strategy for peace to another, coming up with the best ideas that we can, Jesus' idea of peace was very different. And not only that, the peace that God gives cannot be secured by human effort. It could not be just kind of muscled into. Peace is really only the result of covenant relationship with God. Peace is the result of covenant relationship with God. We see this all throughout Scripture. I'll mention these real quickly. Starting in the Old Testament in Genesis, the Adamic covenant, the covenant made with Adam in the garden, which Adam and Eve broke. The Noah, Noah, Noahic covenant, which he made with Noah at the flood. After the flood, he says, I will never do this again. I'll never do something where I'll wipe out all of mankind again. And so there's a covenant that is established, a covenant of peace between God and man. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant that God makes with Abraham and says, I, I will multiply you and become, you will become the father of many nations, and, and, and I will bring prosperity to you. The Mosaic covenant after Israel comes out of Egypt, and God makes a covenant with these people, and he says, I, I'll be your God, and you'll be my people, and if you'll live, if you read in Deuteronomy and Exodus and Leviticus, he, 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 he establishes the, the, uh, the, the conditions of the covenant, saying, if you'll do these things, if you'll follow my laws and follow my degrees, decrees, I will bring peace to you. I will be a God of peace to you, but if you don't, if you walk in disobedience, that there will be destruction. And when we read scripture, we realize that the people in the Old Testament, the people in Israel didn't do the things that God did. And so they brought, uh, they broke the, 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 the covenant of peace. There's a priestly covenant that is made. God makes a covenant with the priests, says that that they would always be in that place where they're making intercession between God and man. And that's why we ref reference Jesus as our great high priest, that in the same order of that covenant, he now stands in our place, in our stead before God, making intercession for us. The Davidic covenant, God makes a covenant with David, and he says, of your throne there will be no end. There will always be a king sitting on the throne in the line of David, and that speaks to Jesus who would be born out of the line of David and he now sits enthroned as king for, forever. And then the new covenant in the New Testament when Jesus would come and with his own blood establish a covenant for us that would usher in peace. Would usher in peace. And so we see this through covenant relationship with God we can have peace. God is the source of our peace. Why? Because it's who he is. It's an aspect of his nature and his character. He is a peaceful God. He is a loving God. And he wants that peace in our lives.
for that peace to rule, to reign, to take up residence in who we are. And here's what I love about God. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. And because he doesn't change, we have this result found in Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39. Paul says this, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. That nothing can separate us from God's love. That nothing can separate us from who he is. Nothing can separate us from his peace. Why? Because he initiate, initiated and brought that peace through Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And he establishes a new covenant for us in his blood that allows us to be at peace. So what is that peace? So let's talk about peace to you and peace through you. The light that brings God's peace to you. The light that brings God's peace to you. Before Jesus, we were enemies of God. You might not have felt it. You're going to think, oh, I'm an enemy of God. But before Jesus Christ, before his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection... We were enemies of God, and there was no other option. Even for Israel, with the sacrificial system and the priests making intercession, they had to constantly, over and over and over, make sacrifice because they were enemies of God. Because of sin and brokenness and the fall, there was no peace between God and man. It's, it's said that we were at enmity with God. And not that he hated us, he loved us, but because of sin, he could not embrace us the way that he wanted to embrace us. That there could not be that fully restored relationship, there couldn't be the peace that God desired even when we didn't desire it. There couldn't be the peace that God desired even when we didn't desire it. And so Jesus came. Jesus made a way. Jesus brought peace to us because we couldn't bring it in ourselves. We have peace with God. You are no longer an enemy of God. When you receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, and you invite him to take up rule and reign in your life, you are reconciled to God. You are made one with him. You are at peace. You are no longer an enemy. And not only that, you're not no longer just, no longer just an enemy. You are now a son and, the da and a daughter of the Most High. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. See, before Jesus, I stood right here in my sin, in opposition to God. My heart and my mind were opposed to God, to the things of God, to the law of God, to the rule of God, in the same way that the Israelites were given the law and then continually just broke the law. I was no different and neither were you. That there was no peace between me and God. And there couldn't be until I came to a place where I said yes to Jesus and he ushered in peace. That he brought his peace. I love when I'm talking to people who just, just gave their lives to Jesus for the first time and they get a taste of this peace for the first time in their lives. And you can't even describe it. And there's this excitement that just is bubbling over. I don't, I don't know what it is. I just, it's just, there's something, I just feel it on my insides and, and my mind and my thinking is different. We can't make sense of it, but it's peace with God. And it's good. It's awesome. We're no longer enemies. We have been reconciled. Jesus came that we would have peace with God, that we would be reconciled once and for all to our Creator, to our Heavenly Father.
But he doesn't stop there. He, he goes further. Not only does he bring us peace, he says that he then keeps us in peace. We are kept in peace. My kids love Legos. Um, and and uh, I saw a funny video yesterday on, online. It was actually a, a parent training treadmill. And there's a guy running on a treadmill bare, barefoot, and someone's got a bucket of Legos and is dumping it onto the front of the treadmill, and they're like running o- over all the Legos. But, you know, there's two kinds of Lego people in the world. They're the people who never read the instructions and never actually build the thing that came in the box, and then the people who do it right. Um, I was the every piece in its place, make it exactly the way it was made to be kid. Um, Micah, my oldest son, was the same way. In fact, all my kids really enjoy doing that, but then after that, it's all bets off. The other three are like, all right, we had our fun with it, now let's pull it apart and see what we can come up with. Uh, but I remember when Micah was little, and, and he started figuring out Legos, and he would put them together. Once it was, once it was put together, it went on a shelf, right? And you, it's there. And you might take it down and play with it, but you don't you don't put it back in the box with all the other Legos because it's going to fall apart, right? And so you put it in a place where it's going to be kept safe. We understand that the things that are valuable for, to us, we keep in safety. Jesus says this of us, that he wants to keep us in peace, that, that he's ushered in peace into our lives, and now he's like, okay, now that you, you're not enemies of God, now, now just continue to figure things out on your own. He says, no, I want to I keep you in that peace. I want you to stay. In fact, Paul says there in Romans, we, we now stand in this grace. I used to stand here, and now I've moved, and I stand in this grace that, that, that has been ushered in because of this peace and this reconciliation with God. And so, it's a perpetual thing in our lives. Isaiah 26.3 says this, of God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Perfect peace. Not just peace. Perfect peace. That he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are set, steadfast or set on him. Because they trust in you. And when we put our trust in God, he says, okay, because of that covenant relationship, I can now wrap you and keep you in peace. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Because we now understand what peace is, that we're no, at, no longer enemies of God, we understand what, what it means to be reconciled to Him, He brings the blessing and the perpetual blessing of peace in, in our lives as He strengthens us. And then Romans 8, 6 says this, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life. And peace. In fact, Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, he says to the disciples, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I have to leave so that the promised one, the Holy Spirit, can come and, and, and he will continue to bring peace. He will continue to, to minister peace, to, to govern your life with peace. There's that word govern, by the way. Of his government, there will be no end. That the Holy Spirit comes and he governs our lives with peace as we bring ourselves under his authority. See, the only reason that government works or doesn't work is because of submission to authority. In an anarchistic uh, society, when people reject authority, things just run amok it's, and it's a mess. Cultures and societies that, that seem to work better are the ones where people submit themselves to authority and to the rule of law. What's well, a principle that we see in Scripture and we, a principle that we derive from God and while we kind of mess it up, we don't do it as well as God does, we understand this, that when we are under the authority of God, when we're under the authority of the Holy Spirit, that he brings governance to our minds and to our lives, which results in peace for us. 
And so he brings us peace and he, he makes this wholeness. He gets rid of the hostility between us and God and he ushers in peace, but then he keeps us in that place of peace. This is God's peace to you, a blessing to you, an encouragement to you. I like peace. I want more peace in my life. But then peace through you as well. Peace through you. As with all of these, with hope, love, and joy, it wasn't just that God wanted to bless you, but he wanted you to be a blessing. And so he wants to bring peace through your life. And, you know, it's amazing at Christmas time, um, you know, we sing songs about peace, Christmas carols about peace. I mentioned, you know, ornaments and Christmas cards and the word peace showing up. We went and saw Christmas lights the other night. There's a great neighborhood. In fact, if you go just up the street here up for Lorraine, uh, there's a neighborhood up on the right where they've got the music and the lights all t- timed to, uh, to a radio station. You can tune in. I think it's 89.1. You tune in when you turn on that street and all the music's going and all, well, most of the houses on the street are lit up and the lights are going and, and you just see the word peace all over the place. Peace, peace, peace. Was this peace that's come to you? But God wants to minister it through you as well. This week I, I saw a, a video, um, and it's, it was kind of a bummer actually watching this. It was a video of this pastor, um, and I just—I even hesitate to call him pastor. Guy's just a knucklehead who, who he goes to the mall, and he's just, you know, his whole thing is Jesus is the reason, right? You remember the whole don't make it weird? Yeah, this guy made it weird. Jesus is the reason, and so he's like on his phone, like videotaping himself, and he's like, hey, I'm going to go tell these kids standing in line to see Santa Claus that Jesus is the reason and that Santa isn't real, right? I'm like, dude, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) You're doing it wrong, and so he does, and he goes up, and he's like, hey, everyone just needs to know that Jesus is the reason, and Santa's not real, and like, there's just these little kids whose faces are like, what's going on? And there's a conflict and a confrontation and people, and then he's yelling at people like, Jesus loves you. And you're like, dude, you're, what are you doing? You're, no. That's not the way we usher in peace. That's not the way we usher in peace. And I don't know what it is about us as a church sometimes, but we get awkward and weird about it, right? Keep, keep Christ in Christmas, and, you know, and then people write letters to Starbucks because they had red cups that didn't say Christmas, or, or someone writes Xmas instead of Christmas, and you're like, oh my goodness, you took Jesus out of Christmas, and I'm like, oh my, God didn't get dethroned because Starbucks didn't put his name on their cups. I had people telling me, you need to boycott Starbucks. I'm like, you're out of your mind. I would not be a nice person without Starbucks. So it's for your good that I go and drink out of a cup that doesn't say Christ on it. I'll be the representation. You know, we laugh about that. But but when you talk about these things, like this is a piece of paper. It's not an invitation. That God wants to usher in peace through you. That guy in the video, dude, you're doing it wrong. In fact, you're the antithesis of what God's heart was. You're the very opposite of what he was going for. Jesus didn't make little kids cry. He called them and said, hey, come sit on my lap. Right? Come on. In fact, he said this, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You know, Jesus didn't come into the world so that you could tolerate some people for one day a year. When we say Jesus is the reason He did not come into the world so that for one day a year we could put up with the people in our lives that we really don't like. He said this, blessed are the peacemakers. 
See, because you have been reconciled to a God who should have destroyed you, who should have wiped you out because you were at war. You were enemies. I was an enemy of God. And God in his almighty power could have just went, done. I'm done with you knuckleheads. I'm done with you doing the wrong things, saying the wrong things. I tell you how to live and you don't do it. I've given you instructions and you ignore them. I've given you all the tools you need to engage in godly living and you just reject it. I'm done. And he doesn't. That's not what he did. He said, you know what? I'll send my son. I'll send my one and only son and he will be the peace offering that comes into the world. He will be the one who builds this bridge of peace. But now that he's done that, and we say yes to him, and we have peace with God. He says, now be peacemakers, because when you do, you will be called children of God. It's one of the things that identifies us as his kids. See, kids love to mimic their parents, the good and the bad, right? The good and the bad. The moment as a parent where you realize that your kid is mimicking your behavior or your attitudes and then there's that gulp moment like oh no what have I done um and for me there were many of those I was like oh lord this is hard this is hard but kids love to mimic their parents we're supposed to mimic we're supposed to reflect who God is we have his peace to give we have his peace to give. Why? Because we've received it from him. Because we have peace and because we've been reconciled to him, we have it to give. By the way, one of the reasons that the peace that the world looks to, 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 to look after or to try and pursue, one of the reasons it doesn't work is, is because it's not just peace that we need. We need peace and reconciliation. See, peace is not just the absence of fighting. See, I've been in homes, and at times my home has been a place where it's like, well, we're not fighting, but it's not peaceful, right? You just know, and there's this quiet unsettledness that's going on here. See, God's heart wasn't just peace, but it was peace and reconciliation, that we would be reconciled to God. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from myself. No, it's from God. Why? Because he ushers in peace through covenant. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. See, it's from God to us, not from us to God. He brings peace and he brings reconciliation. In fact, reconciliation maintains the peace. It's what keeps us in peace. The fact that we are reconciled, that, we are, that relationship is restored to what it was supposed to be, even going back to Genesis where God says, I want to walk with you. Now, I want to be your God and be, be intimate and close with you. And because of Jesus, we've been reconciled. But I love, he says that he gives us, he gives you this ministry of reconciliation. That's awesome. See, he didn't count our sins against us. He didn't condemn us. And because of that, he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. Why? Because you own it. Right? When, when you've been forgiven, Jesus gave that picture. Who's going to forgive more? 
the person who's been forgiven a lot. So when we've been reconciled and we've received reconciliation, we own it, which means it's ours to give. He goes on to say, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. So, so in a modern sense, why do ambassadors exist? And why do we have embassies in other nations? And there's all kinds of periphery reasons. You can go and apply for a passport if you're traveling. It's a safe haven. But the primary reason that embassies exist in other countries and we, do, we send ambassadors to those countries is this, to keep peace. It's to keep peace. And so that ambassador is an envoy of that government. So if we send an ambassador to a nation from our country, country, they're an envoy of the U.S. government. They're a representative of our nation who are in that place to make sure that peace is maintained. What happens when two nations go to war? One of the first things that happens is they send all the ambassadors and all of the diplomatic staff home. You can't stay here anymore because there's no peace. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are envoys of peace to a world that is at war with God. That there are people in your life who do not know Jesus, who've not given their lives to him, who've brought their lives under his governance, his rule, and therefore have not received the peace and reconciliation that comes by Christ. And as ambassadors of that peace, you get to show that to the world. When I go to Nairobi, uh, we, we, the, the, the U.S. embassy complex is pretty big in Nairobi, and it services a number of nations in the neighboring areas, but it's quite a huge complex. Um, but you, you can't miss it. You can't miss it, and, and when... Uh, the diplomats leave, and especially if the ambassador, I've never seen the ambassador, but I've seen in other nations where the ambassador would leave the embassy, there's an envoy, there's a, like, like a little entourage that travels, right? And you sometimes even see the car with the little flag on the hood, and you're like, oh, that's not just some, other, you know, some person who lives here. That, that must be an ambassador, right? Because they're there as representatives of another nation. You know who they are. They stand out. As ambassadors for Christ, we're actually supposed to stand out. As ambassadors and, and sons and daughters of God, we're supposed to make our presence known in the world. Not, not in a way that's boastful, say, hey, I'm a Christian, uh, that's me, right? Or like that guy in the video, like, no, that's, that's, that's inflammatory, that's, that's not being an ambassador, that's picking a fight. We're supposed to stand out in a good way. I know this. When I take teams overseas, I always want to know where the U.S. Embassy is because there's safety there. There's covering that the peace that we enjoy in this nation, I know whether it's in Haiti or in Kenya or whatever nation of the world, I know as a U.S. citizen when I go to that embassy that I'm going to be afforded the protection, the governance of my home country. That as ambassadors, we need to bring that peace into the world with us. You know what I didn't realize, though, before this, studying for this series was this. Um, this is an embassy right here. We're in an embassy. We're ambassadors, and this is an embassy. Now, the work of the ambassador isn't just done in the embassy. A good ambassador gets out into the community and builds relationship and ushers in not just peace, but trade agreements and, 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 and unity with other nations, goes and meets the government officials and the people in that nation where they are, doesn't just wait for them to come to him or her. The embassy is an important place, but the work really happens outside. And I thought, you know, God, God's picture here is so good for us. We are Christ's ambassadors, and we get to come to this place and be equipped and trained and, and built up and encouraged and, and talk to each other. But we're not ambassadors to each other. You can't be an ambassador to someone who's from the same country, right? You getting the picture? 
I can't be an ambassador to someone who has the same citizenship. We're just fellow citizens. I'm only an ambassador when I go to the people who are not from the same place that I'm from. See, as ambassadors, we're not ambassadors of the United States of America. We're ambassadors of Christ, of his kingdom. And we need to go into the world and be ambassadors and bring peace to a world that is lacking peace. Not just the cessation or the the, the ending of hostility or, or war, but to introduce people to Jesus. To tell them about the fact that they can be reconciled to God. That that baby born 2,000 years ago, laid in a manger, is the one who came so that they could have peace beyond what they could understand. The peace of God would rule in our lives and in our hearts. The peace that's beyond our comprehension. We have it to give. We are ambassadors. And so we are both the recipients and those that the, the conduit through which peace must flow. So we have seven days to Christmas. Maybe some of you have got some last-minute shopping to do. Um, maybe you'll find yourself in a crowded store this week and in a mall. Ask yourself, am I being an ambassador? Is the peace of God shining through my life right now? I even had this picture the other, you know, the other day as I was pre- preparing and thinking about my car with having a little flag on the hood, right? Because who knows that driving sometimes peace goes out the window. Um, and I was like, I just get a picture. There's a little Christian flag on my hood going, I'm a part of this kingdom that, that, that needs to, to be peaceful. That I'm an ambassador. You're an ambassador. So let me ask you this this morning as we close. Where do you need God's peace in your life? Not as the world gives, but as only God can bring. Christmas is a great time of the year, but for so many it's a difficult time of the year. God wants to minister his peace first in your life, but he also wants to bring peace between family members. Peace in your home, peace in your workplace. He wants to minister that peace to you. And as he does, to give you the opportunity to be peacemakers. Maybe you're already tense or stressed about Christmas Day or Christmas Eve or the people you're going to have to see. Would you allow God to do work in your heart? Ask him, Lord, would you make me a peacemaker? Would you give me what I need? to usher in peace into moments and situations that seem impossible because he did it for us. Can we stand together? Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Maybe this morning... You don't feel that peace. Maybe you, don't experience, you haven't experienced that peace that comes from saying yes to Jesus. And I'd love to give you the opportunity to do that. I want to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes just so we can have a moment with the Lord. If that's you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never felt that reconciliation, if you've never received him and asked him to be your Lord, your Savior, your Prince of Peace. And this morning you would say, yes, Pastor Barry, I want to say yes. I want to be reconciled to God today. Would you, would you just simply do this? Would you raise your hand so I can agree with you and I can pray with you? No one's looking around. Um, our goal is not to embarrass you. It's just simply for, to give you a place, an opportunity to say yes. I want to say, I want to be on the receiving end of God's peace this morning. Anyone this morning want to say yes to the Lord? Don't want to miss an opportunity to give this invitation. Amen. We'd ask this then as well. If you need peace, if you need the peace of God to rule in your, and reign in your life, especially this week, if you're maybe dreading Christmas, 
and the strife that can pop up and the things that can happen that can unsettle the peace in your life. Uh, if you need that this morning, would you raise your hand? I want to just agree. Hands all over. Hands all over this morning. Thank you. Father God, this morning we thank you for your peace. We thank you, Jesus, that you came as a peace offering for us to usher in what we couldn't usher in by ourselves, to give us what we couldn't attain or secure by ourselves in our own strength. Thank you, Jesus, that because of you, because of your death and your resurrection, because you came at all, we can have peace with God, that we are no longer enemies. And I pray, Lord, this morning for, for all those who raise their hands, God, that that peace would translate not just into an eternal kingdom of God peace, but Lord, you said that that peace would be here on earth. Even as the angels declared to the shepherds, peace on earth. We ask that your peace would be present in our living rooms, that your peace would be present in our cars, that your peace would be present in our homes at the, din at the dinner table this week. Your peace would be present with us as we go into the shopping malls and the stores. Whatever it is, as we drive on the freeway, we are, would your peace be present in our lives? God, I pray that of this church and of these people this week, that it would be said of us that we are children of God as we move in peace. In Jesus' name, amen.